DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and, the PK, DJ and PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Time to welcome in Dan Devine, NBA writer for The Ringer. Dan, good morning. Good morning. And you know what, i got to go behind the scenes a little bit and just give some shout-outs to you. Dandy Warhol's off the, off the rip there, Bohemian like you. I am a dandy, so I feel like I see the vibes, I get where it's going, and I'm already in a good mood as we start this off. Uh, thanks to you for that. There it is. Yak gets all the credit. Yak, you get all the blame usually. You might as well take all the credit right now. What the heck. All right. Uh, Dan, you know when you're coming on the radio in Utah, you know the first thing you're going to get hit with. We got our fan base here is probably in a couple groups. You got one group that's looking at the jazz thing and sweet, it's finally happening. This is going to be the year. And you got another part of the fan base. This is awesome. They look great, but I don't want to get ahead of myself and then have to deal with a ton of disappointment. Advice yeah. is one of these fan bases more on one portion of this fan base more on target than the other. What do you think watching the Jazz? All right, I, I, I am generally of the idea, especially now in, in the world as it exists, that you should be finding and grabbing hold of joy where it exists and just like sucking the marrow out of it, man. Enjoy it while it's here. And if you are not having that experience watching the Jazz night in and night out, I. I suggest you check your pulse. This is about as well. Teams don't get this good that often. Um, I forget the, uh, I haven't looked at the numbers in a couple of days, but the last I had checked, their their net rating, you know, how many points they outscore uh, opponents by per 100 possessions, it was like year one KD Warriors stuff. Like this is, they have been a historically good team so far. So, yeah, maybe maybe matchups will be will, will be an issue in the in the postseason. You still have to wonder who's guarding the big wings like LeBron and Kawhi in a series, all that kind of stuff. There are you know concerns. There's things to be to. There are ways where you can look at the sky and see dark clouds, but you have to look through an awful lot of sunshine to do that. And my recommendation would be don't look so hard for the thing to not to, to, to get worried about when you are the thing that everybody else is worrying about right now. I'd agree with all that. There seems to be a little bit of skepticism as far as what they can do in the postseason. How much is, do you think that is stemming from the fact that they've been knocked out of the first round the last couple of years? I think it's a lot of it, you know, but I mean, it's, there's also a component that's, you know, you can't do it until it's done, right? Like, nobody thought the Warriors were, were going to win the title in their, in their first year together. Uh, nobody thought the Raptors were going to win the title until they did it. Like, all of these stories are impossible until they are history, right? So uh, I, I think a lot of it, there are reasons to uh, look at it and say, well, you know, that could be a concern in a playoff matchup. I mean, to me, the number one thing is just, uh, even even more so than the who else creates a shot in the in the, the the dying minutes of a game besides Donovan Mitchell, which I think is you know that's a real concern that we've seen borne out in playoff series. Um, you know, it, it came back to bite the Jazz in the uh, against the Nuggets in the in the bubble. Um, but I think bigger than that is is the you know how do you match up defensively when you've got to try to figure out who is going to stop. Uh, you know, say both Kawhi and Paul George in a series, or LeBron and Anthony Davis in a series, because the Jazz don't really have the individual like-for-like defenders to match up with those guys. Which, in fairness, hardly anybody does. That's why it's really hard to get those guys, and why you know those, those teams that have them are, tend to be considered super teams. But um, I think I, I don't know how you can. It, 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 there's a certain aspect of it that's like the Bucks in the East, where it's like. We know what the, that what they're doing has worked in the regular season. We know why it's working. We can see it all in front of us. And there's all, there's only so much we're going to be able to learn before the playoffs. I guess my only response to that would just be: I think we've seen the Jazz be a little more willing to adjust and adapt 
uh, to matchups, to tendencies and situations in the playoffs than we have with Milwaukee in the last couple of years. And that would give me hope that you know Quinn Snyder and that coaching staff would be a little more um, malleable, a little more willing to uh, you know to try to figure or able to figure things out on the fly and you know engineer some solutions if they see some problems. But I mean, I think that it's real. The postseason resume is what it is, but this version of this team is a different team, I think, than the ones that we've seen before. Uh, just by it's an order of magnitude different. Dan Devine joining us, NBA writer for The Ringer. So let's dive into that a little more. How are the Jazz different than the team that got knocked out last year? I think we know how they're different two years ago. <laughs> There's been so much personnel turnover in two years. But why now? Why have they taken off like this? Well, I think it's a couple of things. I think you're, you've seen sort of, you've been able to kind of cut and paste together the best versions of the team you saw last year into one cohesive whole. So you've got Donovan Mitchell, is, you know, it, it's not like he, he hasn't taken like a stratospheric leap over where he was last year, but he's better than he was last year. Rudy Gobert has been as good as ever. Um, you've also got the version of Mike Conley that wasn't the one that struggled for the first, you know, two or three months of last season, but was the guy who, from when he came back from his injury and through the bubble, looked pretty darn good and was kind of exactly what they had hoped they get. Like the Mike Conley they traded for is the guy that you've gotten when he's been on the court this season. Um, I personally felt like he deserved an all-star spot. I thought the Jazz, you know, I would have not blinked an eye if the Jazz had gotten three, but, um, you know, other people, you know, have different opinions. I understand that. The, 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 the statistics don't leap off the page with Conley, but I think the impact does. Um, you're getting that along with now, Boyan Bogdanovich, who was not in the bubble because of the wrist injury, um, he's you know it took him some time to get going, but he's going again. Joe Ingles now, it's you know the, the, there was the, the frustration and the struggle of uh, how is he going to adjust when he was moved back to the bench, and you know what did the lineup situations look like last season? He's now back in a comfortable role and he's playing great. Derek Favors is back, so all of a sudden those Rudy Gobert minutes where he was on the bench and the Jazz were getting killed, now that's no longer the case, and you have another guy who knows the system and knows how to contribute already has that fantastic chemistry with Ingles in the second unit. Um, and you're getting, you know, Jordan Clarkson hasn't turned back into a pumpkin, right? Like, there was a big question about, was his shooting last season just a contract year outlier? And so far, it looks like not only is that not true, but that Jordan Clarkson might be the best, you know, reserve scorer in the league, front runner for six man of the year. So you're getting, like, all of these things together, plus contributions from, you know, Royce O'Neal continues to be better than anybody anticipated he would be. Uh, you know, George Niang, the second unit guys, like, there's just, there are really aren't weak points, and you're getting sort of the best game from everybody, it seems like, every time out. So I think you add all that stuff together, and it's like a little advantage and a little advantage. You add them all together, and it becomes a massive advantage, and they just come at you in waves. I think it's a different level of what it's sort of the idealized version of what this Jazz team could be, and I think that you're seeing it so regularly is a testament to an awful lot of people doing an awful lot right. I'm from uh, New Jersey, so I tend to look at things negatively. And, uh, <laughs> I respect it. I'm from Brooklyn, man. I get it. <laughs> yeah, my grandmother lived in Brooklyn uh, when I was a kid. We lived in North Jersey. And so, you know, I'm a half-empty guy. It's the way Jersey people are. Uh, But as I look at the Jazz, and we were just talking about this earlier, one of the things that I think bodes well in their favor when they get to the postseason, and that's when a lot of the naysayers are expecting them to fall, is that in order for them to lose, it's not an NCAA situation where it's a one-and-donner, they're going to have to be off four times offensively. And I know it's it's a backdoor way of looking at it, but I'm not sure that they're going to have a collection of guys all together be off for four games. How do you respond to that? 
Yeah, I think that's a, that, that's a really uh, comparatively healthy way to look at it, you know, from, from my fellow Northeast depressed guy. Um, I think that it's, it's the right idea. It's not just that there's one guy who can create something anymore if you have also Conley is healthy and, and, and sort of flowing, and you have Clarkson the way he's been able to play, and Ingles is there, and then also Bogdanovich is somebody who can create a shot. Like, where, we, where you got to in the bubble, where you have gotten to in certain different uh, see, pro, you know, playoff series in the last handful of seasons, um, is where there really weren't any, there wasn't anybody else you could throw the ball to who could make something happen. Now, are any of those individual talents uh, on the same level as some of the other superstars that you're going to be, you know, you probably have to go through in the West? Probably not. I mean, uh, the, your best chance is probably Mitchell having another sort of out-of-body experience like he did in the bubble. I think the fact that we saw that means you can't rule it out. But if you get something, you know, lesser than that, but, you know, on that, on that order, plus every, you know, everybody else, is at least operational and able to do you know to, to play their role in this offensive system. I think it's it, you know it's like a, a a dam springing leaks right. You put you plug up one and it's gonna the water's gonna come out someplace else. I think that's uh, whether that is something that can overwhelm a you know signature individual superstar four times in seven games is I mean that's a, that is kind of the question at the heart of all of this and it's one of the most fascinating questions about team building in the modern age, but. I think, if nothing else, the way that this front office has built this to this team and built this roster gives you an opportunity because it's not just uh, feast or famine with one guy. It's there, there is a system that, that that allows other people to sort of be stars in their roles and, and elevate when when the time's right. So I'm curious how many legit title contenders you think there are in the NBA. I'm tempted to go with the number four and dismiss Philly and look at the Nets, the Clippers, and the Lakers. And I think everyone notices, hey, that's three teams in the two biggest markets. Hey, those are all super teams. They all went out and used free agency and either tampering or leverage trades. Maybe I should give the Clippers a pass. But the Nets and Lakers certainly did to add all-stars to Hall of Famers. And if that's the only model going forward... That seems like a horrible model for the NBA because at least two-thirds of the league, maybe three-quarters, but at least two-thirds of the league, they're not signing a free agent Hall of Famer and then having all-stars leverage their way there. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for having more than one way to skin a cat, right? If, if the if – the, there, there's – and then there, there, there are bigger conversations here. It's, you know, there's the on-court version of this, too, right, where suddenly everybody plays like the Rockets, right, where the idea is, and, and the Jets to some degree, too, right? It's, it's we're going to bomb away from three. We're going to put, you know, uh, you know, four and five out lineups out there, and we're going to stretch you and, and just split you apart. And so then everybody starts playing the same way, and it's, well, is the league too sort of homogenous in that regard? Is, the style, is, the, is there not enough diversity in style? Um, and then, you know, you, you sort of pull that back to player movement and to team, you know, team building and roster construction. And, the, the, you know, the Nets are kind of a fascinating example there because they, they went all in with the Kevin Garnett, uh, Paul Pierce trade a million years ago. It completely tanked. Uh, they strip mined their asset base and their draft capital and had to build from nothing and, and sell that, like, we're building a culture and we're creating something. They did that. They get back to the playoffs under Kenny Atkinson. Then the first chance they get, they throw all that in to go get superstars, and they kind of you know, completely overhaul what they had built because that's the way to, to win a championship. From, I mean, from my perspective, I think the, there, there's something to be said for uh, teams where that it doesn't work out quite that way. Like there was the, obviously the, the, the Mavs uh, with Dirk in 2011. There's the Raptors a couple of years ago where, yes, they made the trade for Kawhi, but that was about the, the, uh, all, the, the infrastructure they built over the course of a handful of years. 
I think having teams be able to do that and get to the top of the mountain, it, it, I think it introduces more hope. It introduces more difference. And it, it creates an opportunity where you can say as a fan base, like, all right, we don't, you know, we're not going to be able to sell, you know, perfect weather and Hollywood or, you know, you know the, the, the draw of Madison Avenue media markets or whatever. But if we build something the right way and we, you know, we sort of catch lightning in a bottle, we can do it. It might not be every year. The big markets are always going to have uh, a certain advantage in that capacity because guys get, get to choose where they want to play. But um, it doesn't have to happen every year. It just kind of has to happen once. And I feel like that, and the Jazz, from what we've seen so far, are the kind of team it can happen for. You still need a lot to go right, but they've put themselves in position with all the moves that they've made, the way that they've developed their talent, the synergies in their lineup, all that sort of stuff. They've put themselves in position to be the kind of team that can be that one that gets it right. Do you think we'll see some moves here at the trade deadline that could really shake things up? Oh, man, I, 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 um, like, that's one of the things that I'm going to be looking at probably the next couple of weeks uh, as I figure out writing assignments because I, I did a, a couple of weeks ago a trade season primer, and one of the most challenging things was my editor was like, all right, so who's going to be a buyer and who's going to be a seller? And I was kind of like, man, heck if I know. You know like Half the league is within three games of 500, a week away from being a title contender or a week away from being in the running for the number one pick. There's just such a congestion in the middle of the, uh, of the, the league that – I think any team can be able to sell itself on any story it, you know, it wants to tell about itself. So that really makes it hard to figure out who's selling. I mean, even a team, you know, San Antonio, a team that obviously the Jazz have, have a lot of familiarity with, um, you know, they're, they've been better than people expected. They are uh, above 500. They're in the Western playoff bracket as it stands. And then the rumblings are, yeah, they're, they're kicking the tires and seeing what people might uh, be interested in, in you know, ponying up for DeMar DeRozan or LaMarcus Aldridge. And it's like, well... All right, so if that team was going to be a six seed, but they're saying we think we'll, you know, we're at least going to explore the market, you know, extrapolate that to everybody, you know, any of these teams that are like within a couple of games of 500 and have something worth selling, um, you know, may at least behooves them to check out the market on it. But I don't know that you're going to see any more huge names. I think probably Harden was the last big name that's going to move for a little bit. Um, but there could certainly be players that are, you know, uh, players who could make differences for other teams, even if it's like lower wattage names. Um, you know, the, you're, so you're going to start to hear a lot more talk about Thaddeus Young out of Chicago, which is like not blowing anybody's hair back, but a good player that's on a team that's sort of in that middle, middle ground that people are trying to figure out, are, are the Bulls going to buy or sell? And if so, what are they going to get? I think there's a, a lot of clarity still to come on that over the next couple of weeks. Um, I wouldn't expect huge, huge moves because there's a lot of teams that have encumbered their draft picks, like the Jazz did over the, in the Mike Conley deal, and there's a lot of sort of heavyweight teams that have moved draft picks and can't make more big trades like that. But um, you know, there's always there's always talk, there's always discussion, and there's always something that happens, even if it's not like marquee marquee names. It looks like the Jazz and then the Clippers and Lakers because they got Kawhi and they got LeBron, and so it's three in the West. In which case, if you're first. It seems like a much easier second round. But now you got the Suns who are putting together a record that looks a little more like the top three than it does that, you know, congested next six or eight teams that you were talking about. Do you think the Suns really belong in the top three? Are the Jazz destined for a difficult second round matchup no matter what? Or do you think the Suns are going to fall back into the middle group and there is going to be a reward for being the one seed in the West? I, mean, I think the, the reward for the one seed in being the West is 
you miss the you know the the LA teams until the conference finals, and that is a sizable reward, I think. Um, you know, but the reality is, yeah, Phoenix has, has been great. I think a lot of people. I was I was somebody who who liked their chances of being a playoff team just coming out of the bubble, even before they made the Chris Paul trade. So then they make that deal, and you say, all right, yeah, they're going to like they're it's just they're going to be a better, more organized team. They're going to be a defensive team, a team that, that plays well on defense. They're going to be a good team in crunch time. All those sorts of things, the things that come with Chris Paul. And they're going to be in, a, in the mix for a playoff berth because the underlying talent was better in Phoenix than it was in Oklahoma City, and he got that team to like 48 wins in the playoffs. So I think that they are they are for real until proven otherwise. Um, I think so. Seeing them in the second round would not be a whole lot of fun. But the reality is because of, the, uh, of how how tightly compacted everything is, you look at the rest of the teams on that list. Yes, yeah, San Antonio probably doesn't strike fear into your heart at number six, but Portland means that you got to deal with Dame Lillard, you know, a handful of times. And one of the areas in which the Jazz. Uh, can have some some vulnerabilities is with high scoring point guards that can break guys down off the dribble. You know, Royce O'Neal is a great perimeter defender, but is you know are Mike Conley or Donovan Mitchell up to that task with the offensive responsibilities they have as well is something to keep an eye on. Sam, you know, you go down the road the list a little bit. Golden State, exactly the same situation. You know, the Jazz know how that story goes and have had have had their their challenges in the past. Now, this is a different Warriors team than the one that Utah saw in the, in the playoffs before, but still, you got to see Stephen Curry. You don't feel great about that over the course of two weeks. Denver with Nikola Jokic, who's playing at you know an MVP level this season. Obviously, there was the story, uh, you know, the the issue with them in the in the postseason last year. Denver hasn't looked quite that good, but on and on you go. I think it's just the nature of the Western Conference that it's like a, you know you shake them up and the, the, it's like a snow globe. You shake it up and then things can fall down in different directions and different orders of seating. But um, you're probably not going to get an easy look no matter what. Even though I mean that all that said though, it would be fatalistic to say that you know there's no way for the Jazz to come out of this looking good. If you are able to move yourself away from the Clippers and Lakers until you absolutely have to play them, I think that is an unqualified win. Well, Dan, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for checking in with us. And uh, jazz fans can't can't get enough of hearing about the jazz. So, thanks for all the opinions. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks so much, and yeah, enjoy it while while you got it, guys. This doesn't come around very often. Dan Devine, NBA writer for The Ringer, and you can uh, go in. The Ringer organizes everything by writer, so you can check out all the stuff he's written on the Jazz and the NBA Western Conference contenders. Uh, Google them, and you can check it out.